Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I'll transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are talk full of that, man. Go right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. I am Jeff Howe. We're going to be continuing our wrap-up of spring practice this week. Last week's show, we kind of left off talking about the offense. We'll pick that back up. And since it is this week, we will talk about the NFL draft. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff as far as the Longhorns go. We've talked pro day. We've talked a lot of stuff. We haven't got real draft intensive on the show, but we will do that this week. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. Matt, how are you, sir? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm good, man. I figured you're probably in heaven right now because you've got two things that I know you really dig going on. you got the NBA playoffs, and we're right in the middle of severe weather season. Yes, you're right. Texas. <laughs> you're right. I was telling Travis that we might have some big storms tomorrow, so that's big. But, yes, basketball season right now is about the best time at the end of the first round and the beginning of the second round because you finally get into some really good basketball. Uh, a man who he can talk basketball, the weather, why there should be a Chick-fil-A in Idaho when there's not one. Um, that's because he's the Renaissance man here on Longhorn Blitz and the Renaissance man at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, where you get him each and every weekday in the great city of Austin. Uh, from 1 to 3 on the Rodcast. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All-American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever he gets that T-ring back, he will wear it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member, a black card member of DBU, number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, bro. Uh, Rod, Rod, where do you want to start this week? You want to start with draft or you want to start with uh, kind of finish up the spring game conversation? You can finish up the spring game conversation. I think we left off talking about the offense yes. um, last week. Yeah, and something that I want to bring up uh, because, I, you know, I do a couple different interviews during the, the week. I've got scheduled stuff. Uh, one, the guys at ESPN Central Texas and Waco, uh, Craig Smoke and Q, those guys do a great job on Unnecessary Roughness. I'm on with them on Wednesdays, and then I'm also on Wednesdays with uh, Chad and Kevin uh, on the horn. Uh, but I was on with Bucky and Aaron on Friday last week and kind of recapping uh, spring ball. And it kind of this dovetails into our talk about the offense because I was thinking, Rod, one thing we haven't really talked about that nobody's talked about, it, and we didn't really see it in the spring game. I know we didn't see it in the spring game. Um, the impact that the analysts are going to have on this offense. And we heard Tom mm-hmm. Herman say, before the game and after the game, there's a lot of RPO stuff that they're doing new that they didn't show, mm-hmm. they weren't going to show, they didn't want to put on tape in the spring game for obvious reasons. But, you know, I keep going back to this quote by Tim Beck because I, I asked him about, you know, the additions of specifically Larry Fedora and Andre Coleman to that staff room because right now when there's no opponent to scout, it's a lot of self-scouting. That's what those analysts are doing. And Tim Beck said, and I'll paraphrase it here, it's like it's, it's made him think. It's made him kind of made him step his mm-hmm. game up a little bit. 
which is exactly what I think if you're Tom Herman, you want those analyst hires to do in the offseason. Like I said, when there is no opponent to scout, you're not getting ready for anything. So I don't know, Rod. I just think that that's kind of the the X factor. We talk a lot about personnel, and the personnel is what it is, and we'll go through talking about personnel through the rest of the summer. But when I think about this offense and how it's going to evolve, to me that's the X factor. Larry Fedora with tempo and RPOs and all the stuff he brings to the table. And then Andre Coleman's aspect of that is the quarterback run game and making things a little more dynamic for Sam Ellinger where you're not just kind of pounding him between the tackles. You've got now some some things you can do to make yourself a little diverse and your ability with personnel to spread the field allows you, allows you to do that a little bit more. But I don't know, I just thought it was interesting that you know, we talked a lot about those analyst hires when they were made, but mm-hmm. didn't talk a lot about them during spring practice. But I think behind the scenes, what those guys cooked up this spring that this staff can work with this summer and take with them to camp to get ready for that opener against Louisiana Tech, that could, as much as anything else, as much as the personnel, be what evolves this offense and takes it forward. Well, that's because in the spring game, I mean, as we talked about it, it's, you know, they were, they were very vanilla. Yeah. Um, I mean, we got into the little bit they showed. Um, throwing out some 21 personnel out of empty formation last week. And we can get back into the X's and O's of that. But the conversation you're talking about is is us, you know, pretty much just guesstimating what right. we think they're going to do um, based on the new addition. Now, there's a reason they brought Larry Fedora and Andre Coleman in. And I think you're right. I think Larry Fedora's this analytical-based uh, approach that he has with the RPOs, uh, with this, you know, big uh, you know data set, if you will, of different formations in different situational uh, football, uh, you know, situations that that will give Texas in in certain offensive uh, in certain offensive uh, you know circumstances. It will give them an edge in terms of being able to get a matchup advantage. So we can use the RPO and say they have a, an outside linebacker or say they have a safety that you know Texas can. Can can find a way to uh, to exploit because that guy he's you know he's weak in coverage or he's weak coming down against the run whatever it may be I think those guys are in for that that specific purpose to bring and evolve the offense with a set of plays so that they can in an acute way uh, exploit the defense and, and, and whether it be the quarterback running game or whether it be the RPO or whatever it is. And the value of these analysts is just so big, especially for schools like Texas, because first you look around and you just have an extra set of eyeballs to go into that rabbit hole for your coach or be able to, oh, well, in this situation, this player normally does this or this team when they're down seems to do this. So now all those theories or hypotheses can be allocated to other guys. So then the nine coaches, the 85 roster spots, the, the limitations that you have in the college game, well, this is the one niche that you don't have it. You can have as many analysts. We saw it first with Saban, but now you see these bigger schools really reaching out and going and getting the brain trust in there. So then on game day, when you're in that situation, you have somebody there that has done the research that y'all talked about together. And then now you're more confident in your setting and school like Texas can only take advantage of it and needs to go in for it. It just maybe I'm blowing it too much out of proportion, guys, because to Matt's point, piggybacking off that. Texas was behind the eight ball on that stuff for so long while Alabama and other schools across the country were doing it. You know, I remember Mac even saying when he hired Patrick Suttis to head up, you know, their recruiting staff. It's like, we've been mom and popping it around here for too long. Well, why? Why are you mom and popping it around there for so long You did when you didn't have to? Well, uh, Mac didn't want, Mac admitted he didn't want to get into an arms race. He didn't support the college football arms races. He said he wanted them to dial it back. He wanted them to put in more regulations. 
to try to you know defuse it and force teams to stop at you know their at whatever these assistants are or these analysts at a certain number and they never did that they just wanted they kept it going and guys like Dabble Sweeney and guys like Nick Saban were like all right well you're not going to put in any rules to stop us then right. I'm just going to load up and Mac didn't want that Mac actually he he said that toward the end of his career and I think now that he's at North Carolina he probably feels differently right. uh, because it's a different day and age yeah but, you know, so to see Texas finally be to where you can say, okay, they're doing the same things that the elite programs in the country are doing, I, I think as a fan it should make you feel good to see Tom Herman. And it goes back, Rod, to Tom Herman just being proactive, whether it's adding grad transfers or adding JUCO guys or making sure you've got the best strength coach in the country or making sure you know your nutrition staff is in line with your strength staff to, to develop guys. I think if you're – whether we're talking about analysts or whatever, I think as a Texas fan – you should feel really good. And I know that alignment word got thrown around a lot and some people got tired of hearing it. But, man, it's true. I mean, when you've got a head coach that has a plan, he has a vision, and he's doing everything he can and being proactive to make sure that vision comes to fruition, if you're a fan of that program, that team, that school, how can you not like where things are headed? Yeah, he's also good at you know contingency plans. I mean, I think Larry Fedora at one point, depending on how long he stays here and with the alignment, we don't know how they're going to use him. Uh, if something happens with the offensive play calling and we don't know how it's going to work out, if Tim Beck's going to be calling the plays and then Tom Herman's going to take over, like if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, there is some miscommunication or something is lost in translation, I would not be surprised if Larry Fedora can be, is being groomed for that specific task I, to be the play caller. Because yeah. I don't think Tom Herman really wants to call the plays. He will do it when the fit hits the shan. Mm-hmm. But I think ideally he wants somebody that he trusts, that is like-minded with him in terms of their offensive ideology and philosophy. And he wouldn't even brought Larry Fedora in if Larry Fedora didn't have you know similar uh, ideas to him on offense. I, I heard, and in that room during, like when we talk about actual being on game day for those four hours during the game, having an extra mind like that, that you've been there with all summer, helping you really game plan together can really yeah. help with those type of things. Yeah, and I like this. Tim, Tim Beck's doing great. I'm not hating on Tim Beck. I'm just saying and if, if something happens like it did last year, I remember people were upset with what happened with Tim Beck. And I think Sam Ellinger is what saved Tim Beck. It wasn't Tim Beck who just magically transformed overnight. It wasn't. Sam Ellinger took basically a, a stranglehold of the offense. He basically took control of the offense. And even Todd Orlando's admitting it in spring. He's saying, oh, man, when Sam comes to the line of scrimmage, it's Sam. He's manipulating the defense. He's placing guys in, in certain situations where they can be successful. That's Sam Ellinger's offense now, which is the way I think Tom Herman wants it. So I don't think the offense is gonna, you know, go off the track or go off the rails at any point. But if there is something that goes down, it's gonna be on Tim Beck's shoulders, not Tom Herman's. And Tom Herman may decide, you know, Larry Fedora is a bad, is an upgrade at that position. And we know he's all about upgrades. While all of his assistant coaches are on one year deals, pretty much. Yeah, he's I'm, all about upgrades. And he wants that pressure applied to those coaches. He wants them to like, hey man, if you ain't getting better, there's somebody else that wants this job and they want to live in Austin, Texas, and they want to be here at this program. And they want to make big money. And they want to recruit Texas. You hit the uh, the nail on the head there, Rod. That's where I wanted to go with it. Was the one year contracts, which I know that some people didn't think it was a big deal. It raised some eyebrows, but to me, I heard Bucky say this, and I agree with it a hundred percent because he coached here. He understands what that dynamic is like from the standpoint that Texas. And I'll paraphrase what he said. Texas is a place where, as a coach, you can get real comfortable real quick. Oh yeah. And I think this is Tom Herman saying. Yes, we played for the Big 12 title. Yes, we won 10 games. Yes, we won the Sugar Bowl. All that stuff was great. Now is not the time for anybody to get comfortable. 
now's the time where we need to mash the gas and take advantage of this opportunity where you look, Rod, coming out of spring, you can look at the talent on this roster, everything we've talked about, returning, you know, you get a three-year starter at quarterback, you look at the structure of the Big 12, Texas is as prepared as this program has been in a long time to now where you can say, okay, the goal is let's go make a run at Oklahoma and let's make the goal winning this conference. Yeah. That is a realistic goal. Agreed. And I think you're at the point, too, where I think in a lot of a lot of viewpoints, you would say if this team doesn't at least play for the Big 12 title, you consider, would you consider this season a disappointment? Yeah. yeah I, Definitely I would, too. would be. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, honestly, I, I expect them to win it this year. Right. I think uh, they sh- not that they're a better team in Oklahoma, this year they're a more balanced, you know what I mean, team than Oklahoma. They're a more well-rounded roster than Oklahoma is. Oklahoma's lopsided. Well, they have been lopsided. It doesn't matter. That's how good Lincoln Riley is. But, right. you know what I mean, Texas this year – I think has more balance all throughout the roster. It's almost like what what do all three you, phases. What and I know we're getting more big picture here away from spring ball, but it's almost like what do you trust more? Do you trust the talent Texas has and the ability Todd Orlando has to get that talent ready to play by the time you get into Big Twelve play to make up for the losses they've got defensively, or do you trust Alex Grinch to fix Oklahoma's problems? Which I could be wrong on this. I don't know. Defensive coordinator isn't the only issue Oklahoma had defensively last year. Yeah, you got a talent issue. Secondary's got a talent, no lack of talent issue. Yes. Yeah. No, I agree with you. That's it's going to take more than one offseason to fix what Oklahoma. And I'm not saying Oklahoma can't do it because it's Oklahoma. Uh, but both Oklahoma and Texas in the Big Twelve should always be like the kind of the Rockets and the Warriors are in the mm-hmm. West now. They should always be building that roster to beat one another. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just that simple. Nobody uh, and honestly, in just that goal will make you'll be better than Baylor and you'll be better than Tech and because of that. Because you're you know you're comparing yourself and you're trying to beat the only other big dog in the conference. I'll say this, though. I think for for Texas, you know, the confidence that everybody has now with Texas being able to compete, it truly does just come from Sam Ellinger. I mean, it's just that simple. Yeah. There are losses on offense that we really can dive into and, you know what I mean? And we, I wanted to get into a couple. Yeah, players, and we, yeah. Can, we can really break them down into detail and make people paranoid and anxious about it. But in the end, the ultimate, I think, what to me, the ultimate solace uh, kind of brings you some calm and is a stress reliever. It's like, well, Got Sam freaking Ellinger, man. Like he, he's gonna find a way to get it done. Like he's he played at such an elite level last year. There's no reason not to believe that he can't it can fix whatever the is ailing the offense. And then you gotta trust in Todd Orlando, which I do. Yeah, I trust Todd Orlando. And that's exactly where like yeah. you know Texas fans have been wanting us to get to this spot for like a decade. I just love the conversation. Is oh Texas and Oklahoma need to be focused on winning a championship in the Big Twelve, and Texas has a quarterback. Like that's how. It was for a decade, and then it seemed to be gone for a decade on the Texas end. But Texas has a quarterback and now is hoping that the expectation just going forward every year is, well, at least you make it to win the Big 12 championship. If you beat Oklahoma, you go on. It's the same formula that Mac would talk about for a decade, and it's good to be there. And the idea that Sam Ellinger could this quickly – totally turned the perspective because even though at about this time spring game last year everybody knew Sam would probably be the quarterback next year but you hadn't seen the tangible results or you still were wondering how the development would go and when you look at the development of quarterbacks normally it's like going into year three at Texas or year three that's when you really mature as a collegiate quarterback and now you have Sam already sort of ahead of that curve in just one season he's going into his junior year third year on campus and you feel so confident in him and that's something Texas hasn't had in a decade yeah rod do you take anything away from sam ellinger's spring game performance because it's hard for me to 
really dig into it and and take too much away from it, good or bad. Oh yeah, I can take something from it. He does. He has no chemistry with any of those wide receivers. That that, that was one of those things field. that I mean, I, it was none. I mean, it was it was like yeah. watching an awkward free up versus mine on the first date, and it's mm-hmm. awkward. You're like, ugh, they have no chemistry. Like they just look awkward. They don't look <laughs> like they're getting alone. Nobody's having fun. You know what I mean? Like that's that's how it looked to me. It was like, oh, that's Testing an awkward date. There's no chemistry at all. So I know with Colin Johnson, he has chemistry. So I'm not worried about that. Him and Duvernay have chemistry. But in terms of the people that were really out there that got the bulk of the targets, uh, they don't really have any. He doesn't have chemistry with any of those guys. But that's okay. I mean, Colin Johnson that was will be one of the things He'll develop that... with Malcolm Epps. He likes Malcolm Epps, you can tell. He likes yeah. that big body, like that big catch radius. Yeah, you could look at the interception, and, and my oh, thing is, yeah. man, turnovers are going to happen. You know? Yeah. It's, it's just one of those yeah, that's like That was an arrogant, cocky throw, though. I'm glad he threw it in spring because, man, you can't be mm, throwing yeah. it. I was like, dude, that dude wasn't open. Like, what do you mean? That, that's not even, he's not even close to open. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, <laughs> you got fired in there. What are you looking at? <laughs> like you said, better him throw it now to where he doesn't throw it on exactly. August 31st. Exactly. So I'm like, I'm glad he got it in spring. Yeah, so now you're down 7 nothing, and everyone's like, oh, my God, what's going on? Yeah, because that was a cocky arrogant. That was like, I'm effing Sam Ellinger throw, yeah. like, nah, calm it down. <laughs> yeah. Hey, calm it down, bro. So for the most part, turnovers are going to happen. You've got to minimize turnovers and minimize mistakes. But that, that was the big takeaway for me, Rod, and I didn't know how much I should really dig into that. There was really just no no mm. rapport, no chemistry. Mm-hmm. Just No. Yeah, you described it better than I could have, so yeah. congratulations on that. But overall, man, I, I you know, when you look at it, Sam had kind of a weird spring because, you know, he missed that first scrimmage and he missed some practice time with mm-hmm. – he got tested for the mumps and yeah. just kind of – but – to me, this spring, you know, we knew Colin Johnson wasn't going to be there. You know, we know, we know, little Jordan Humphrey's gone, and I'm kind of. I'm going to get off. On, yeah, I'm going to get off on a couple of tangents here. But to me, quarterback receiver chemistry—that's the stuff that that's what the seven on sevens in the summer are for. You can this work on that throughout the off season. Yeah. Uh, as you get into camp, but to it. me, when you talk about quarterbacks, this this spring wasn't necessarily about okay, how much can Sam Ellinger improve? Because I think. I, at least anyway, feel confident in the rate of development we saw as last year went on that that's just going to kind of keep going up and up as long as he puts the work in. And mm-hmm. I've got every, every reason to believe in the, and the, during the summer that he will. To me, the spring was about how ready can you, how much work can you get for Casey Thompson and how ready does he look at the end of the spring? By the end of the spring, does he look like a guy that can get you through a game? And I, I want to pick your brain on this, Rod. To me, my takeaway from Casey Thompson, and we heard it was kind of like an up and down spring, which for most redshirt freshman quarterbacks, yeah. it is an up and down spring when you're going through it, uh, especially when you're really getting significant work with the number one offense for the first time. But I look at Casey Thompson and I say, okay, let's say Casey Thompson had to get this team through a game where you needed him to start a game. I would imagine the plan would be real similar to what we said a plan would be for Sam Ellinger's true freshman year. Heavy quarterback run game. Yeah. Uh, your passing game, it's going to be a mix of quick stuff to the outside, and you've got the personnel at wide receiver to be able to do that stuff maybe more than you could two years ago, mm-hmm. and kind of mixing in some 50-50 deep shots down the field. Yeah. I mean, I think the quarterback running game will be better uh, this year because of Andre Coleman's addition. You know, K-State, I don't think there's a, a, a team in the conference that's run the ball better 
in terms of quarterback run game in the history of the Big 12 than K-State. Because they've done it year with different types year. of guys. They've done yeah, it with so many different guys. They've done it with, a, you know, guys that have the athleticism of a Shane Bouchelle <laughs> and a, a other Colin guys Klein. who have the, yeah, the athleticism of a, of a, you know, kind of a, a Vince Young, if you like. Michael with, Bishops, yeah, the Al Robertsons. They've like, seen so them many done it with ones. everybody. So I think now the more concepts and more innovative ways to disguise the quarterback running game, and that's why I'm really excited about with Sam, too, um, because as you pointed out, Matt, even with guys like Colin Klein, they were running quarterbacks in between the tackles. They can mm-hmm. run up to the edges, and they can do it in a, in a variety of ways. So I think the quarterback running game, even with Casey Thompson, if by well, knock on wood, if he has to play, I think it'll be they'll be able to utilize and weaponize him better mm-hmm. than they yeah. did even Sam in his youth as a freshman and as a sophomore. Yeah, because when Sam was coming in, it was sort of different. He was a specialized package, and Thompson's going to be able to come in and definitely have his own specialized version of the offense, but the entire offense will be built with the framework a lot better of offense, a lot more pieces that fit better together with what he'll doing, so it'll be making his job easier, or his job will be coming in maybe saying garbage time and getting reps that are valuable reps at that point, so it isn't as hurtful if you make a mistake when you're young when it was in other young quarterback situation the past decade. Yeah. The only other personnel thing I wanted to hit on offense is the slot receiver. And you know, we've talked about it a lot, but the way this offense is going to be constructed with the personnel you've got, you're really going to have to see what that H position can do in the pro spread. And you go back to, I think, the guy that ideally Tom Herman would like to have, go back to when he had DeMarcus Ayers at Houston, a guy that could do really a little bit of everything, make that a true hybrid position, which – by the way, if anybody done that, that's what the H stands for is it's a hybrid position. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with Lil Jordan Humphrey, you made the most of it. You you maximized his skill set. Maybe not as best you could because I think there was maybe some more run game stuff you could mm-hmm. do. But, Rod, it's hard to complain about a guy who catches, what, 85 balls and goes over 1,000 yards and yeah. – you know, it counts for double-digit touchdowns. It's hard to complain about how much a guy's used when you see the production. But, you know, you look at them post-spring. Now you look at that H position, and Tom Herman comes out and says Josh Moore's been challenged to to bulk up and gain weight this spring. We know Brew McCoy got some work there, but you feel good about him being eligible, but you still you are not 100% sure he's going to be eligible. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got Jordan Pouncey. So I, I think that's really – Kind of the one position on offense where if you're looking for a true freshman to come in and plug a hole like Jordan Whittington did at running back, I think Jake Smith could be your answer there. I know that's a lot asking for a young guy, but I think as good as you are on the perimeter, as good as you look at running back, and with Parker Braun coming in, now you've got some talent and depth on the offensive line, I think you're in a position where, okay, at just asking one true freshman to be your guy at H receiver I don't think that's asking a whole lot in terms of putting something on a newcomer's shoulders. I think, and I agree with you, I think ideally in last year wasn't ideal for Tom Herman. He was still making the most out of what he inherited. And I I think he did a good job with that with Lil' Jordan Humphrey. Lil' Jordan Humphrey, even coming out of high school, nobody was exactly sure what they were going to do with Lil' Jordan Humphrey. And even now going to the NFL, nobody's exactly sure what they're going to do with Lil' Jordan Humphrey. So I actually am not going to criticize Tom Herman for not running them more, even though I agree with you. And and we said they underutilize him to a certain extent. But that's not the ideal fit or prototype that Tom Herman wants for that position. And even though he has a little Jordan Humphrey has a really diverse skill set, he wants a guy like Jake Smith ideally. Actually, Jordan Whittington is probably the second best ideal fit for the H position, right. um, other than those other guys you mentioned, Jordan, Josh Moore and jo- Jordan Pouncey. Like he really is. So I think those guys are they're just receivers who could play the H. 
I think Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington are H receivers in Tom Herman's mind, meaning, man, I can line this guy up in the backfield. Basically, he just wants Alvin Kamara, and he wants Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are a few guys playing those types of roles in the NFL. Tariq Cohen for the Bears. He wants the guy I can put him in the slot, and I can shift him in the backfield. And, and mm-hmm. you are equally fearful of them running a route out of the slot or them actually getting the handoff in the backfield, and they do both equally well. Now those receivers, and even little Jordan Humphrey, I don't know if he did that as equally as well as he ran routes. Jake yeah. Smith might, and Jordan Whittington might. Can I make a suggestion for a position change? And we haven't seen much of this guy to know how. But it you need Jordan work. Whittington at running back, so I'm not saying switch. Right, I know why no. he did that. That but, was out of necessity. But I think this that. this this could help your running back depth and get Whittington a couple more reps than he otherwise would at that H position. Am I crazy to think it would be worth it to look at moving Jordan Pouncey to running back? Mm, I don't know. I got to go look at his body. I got to look at his He's body. He's 190-ish, 195-ish. But I just look at a guy that, okay, a receiver, it just seems like he's blocked at pretty much yeah. every position. Um, you only you still only have three scholarship running backs. We don't know what's going to happen with the Darian Brown situation. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's nothing we can probably get into on the show, but no, I'll no, just I, throw I, it I, out it's, there. It's worth uh, – I mean, obviously spring was the time to try to experiment with it, but I think they want to get a young Whittington coming in as many reps as they could. Yeah, they do need bodies there, period. Yeah, um, yeah I, I mean, that's a good – if you want to try to use Jordan Whittington in that H role some, and I think you should – but maybe they want to. They, they, I know they're putting a lot on this plate, so I think maybe they want to just try to. All right, let's focus on running back, and then when you get comfortable with that, maybe we'll try to give you some reps at H. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you just, you need you need bodies at both. Honestly, right now you need because I don't. I, I'm with you. I don't know if they trusted any of those wide receivers that they can truly translate right now to the H. He's just like, hey man, this guy needs to add weight. This guy needs to be more physical. This guy needs to do that. Until Jake Smith comes in. You know, you might just need bodies at that point and at running back. So, yeah, maybe you can ask him in training camp if he wouldn't mind switching over. You know, you ask guys to do that, and, and obviously most guys, they still thinking about the transfer portal. So Right. <laughs> and you're already deep at wide receiver. There's going to be some wide receivers transfer. I'm not right. trying to break that news to anybody. Because <laughs> yeah. you're loading up on them, and yeah. you just keep bringing in and stockpiling them. So, yeah, you tell a young man, hey, man, I want you to switch to running back. He might see that as a hint that you probably want me to hit the portal. Well, you know, you could sell it however yeah, you need yeah, to sell exactly. it. Yeah, yeah, how you um, sell it. You know, I just think there's – There's reps there, though. There's – yeah. There's well, reps there. That's what I would tell young man. There's reps there. You probably might get more reps there than you will at wide receiver. Look, wait, and they're right going to find you and put you at wide receiver if you're that good mm-hmm. in the NFL. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. you see that. But that's also why him at this part of his development probably wouldn't be wanting to restrict himself to be compartmentalized as that. So – Hey, get him some reps there. See if you're versatile, but don't sell it as a total sell to the position. Yeah. You know, the other – and it just shows you how deep they are at receiver now. The other move that I thought about, and I mentioned this on the site last spring, uh, Montrell Estelle was one of those guys that was blocked at safety because you're like, okay, with all the talent you've got at safety, how the hell is he going to get on the field? Uh, and with the offensive problems that you had coming off of 17, like, why don't you move Montrell Estelle to offense, just put him in one of those outside receiver positions? But now it's like, okay, yeah, you know, yeah, he was running number one safety in the spring, but he's going to be number two when Colin, when Caden Stearns and Brandon Jones are back. And if he's moving offense, where the hell is he going to play? We're already talking about, okay, do you have enough no, talent at wide receiver to move yeah. Jordan Pouncey to running back? So it just you got an embarrassment of riches. At, it just at speaks receiver. to again, Rod, and I know I've hammered this a lot, but I, I love it because we're dealing with first world problems again. 
And you got talented depth at a lot of positions on this depth chart right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I I totally agree with you. I think that's Tom Herman in a matter of two years. I and mean, we talked about the offensive identity crisis for years at Texas, and you know he had a plan and he had a vision because he came in, and I would say within two years now, all mm-hmm. the positions are no longer they're, they're not bereft of talent. And now you're getting to the point now. Well, I'm with you, wide receiver. Uh, I think running back starting to get there. I think tight end maybe starting to get there. Where you got you got talented depth. Hell, tight ends loaded, man. You just got so many bodies there. You got Cade Brewer, and you got Reese Laytown. They got Jared, uh, Jared Wiley. Jared Wiley. Braden Lebrock coming in the summer. Right. They just got. I'm like, damn. I oh, you forget about guys at tight ends. Like, oh man, I forgot about that guy. So I, I think I got to give Tom Herman a ton of credit because in two years he fixed what took you know Mac Brown and Charlie Strong what they couldn't do. Yeah. Um, toward the end of their terms, in like eight years they just couldn't fix the Texas offense. He like, did it in two like years. Like defensive line. We didn't. I don't know if we talked about Moro Ojimo at all this spring. No, we didn't. And he's not a guy that had a bad spring. No, it was just I agree. So we're talking about Taquan Graham and Malcolm Roach and Keandre Coburn, and you know we talked about Jacoby Jones because he was a newcomer and Bimmage coming off the surgery. Like we didn't even really get into talking about yeah. Moro Ojimo. No, I agree. You're getting to that point. You're not there quite yet where you want to be. Where you're, you know, you look at the the depth chart and the depth chart, the second and third string guys. You're like, damn, those guys might be better than the starters at one point. That's how it was when in 2000 and 2001 when I got in. It was like, no, nah, go. It's like, oh man, Rod B, that guy's pretty good. No, 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 go look at the guys behind Rod B. Like, you and know then, what I mean? Go look at the Huff Daddies and the Michael Griffins and the A. Ross. Like, those are, you know what I mean? That's how Bama is now. That's how Clemson is now. That's how Ohio State is now. Yeah. And that's where you want to get to consistently. Texas will get there. They're, they're on their way. They're definitely on the way. And People, this just totally supports something you've always said, I don't know, for like the past decade, because Texas have been in the same situation a lot. But, like, you sort of know if you've got your guy by definitely year three. But normally year two, year you two. know when you got your guy. And yeah. that's sort of what you could see, the tangible results. But not only the tangible results but all the other stuff that we're talking about now where it's sort of plotting for the future and looking at the roster and revamping everything and you could see those signs and I mean it aligns totally with what we've said and you cited different situations with other groups like even whenever Herman had his group at Ohio State and it was that group of Ezekiel Elliott and all Mm -hmm. them by the end of year two were surging and beating Bama so it's pretty cool to be able to see it and then in real time live it as a Texas fan. Rod, you talked about people looking at that depth chart and the guys behind you. There was a time where Texas fans were looking at like that 99-2000 depth chart and saying, hey, man, I think Rod Baber is a slabbing Irvis Hill for that corner. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, but Irvis Hill himself, as good as Irvis Hill was, love Irvis, he wasn't considered an NFL player. Now, no disrespect, the guy, no the starters, disrespect, but he has like, an awesome name. Yeah, in like 2000, 2001, hell, I think like nine of those 11 guys played on defense, played in the NFL at one yeah. point. And it was like, it was like, man, you guys are really talented. It's like, nah, we're not. Go look at the guys behind us. There's some beasts. You know what I mean? Like, And that's, that's what we knew, like looking at them in practice, like, man, these young pups they got coming up are going to be, are going to take over. Like they're going to lead DBU to a, you know, to a higher plane and mm-hmm. a higher standard. And that's exactly what they did. They proved us all correct. You Texas has to get to back to that point. That's the talented depth you're talking about. That is that's Bama, Clemson, Ohio State type talented depth. You know what I mean? Only like four schools yeah. in the country have that. And I like the fact that Tom Herman talked about it on his interview with Bucky and Aaron. I think it was before the spring game, a couple of days before the spring game, when he talked about they're getting to a point as a program where they're having to depend on fewer grad transfers and JUCO guys to plug holes on the depth chart, mm-hmm. which also results in kind of like I talk about the Jake Smith thing. You're no longer having to ask freshmen to play because they're all you've got. 
you're asking freshmen to play because, hey, you're just that much better. They're your best. You're Katie Stearns. Yeah. You're Jordan, you're Jordan Winston. Yeah. You're what I think Jake Smith is going to be. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're just you're just that. You're, you're a prodigy, so we got to put you on the field. And it's always good to have a JUCO if you need to go get one one year because something weird happens, but it's nice when your program's full of those freshmen. Did I tell you guys my Irvis Hill story? You have an Irvis Hill story? I was about to say, they aren't even making Irvises anymore. I, haven't, I love that. made me I feel I wouldn't say old. he might have been the last, only Irvis I've ever known like, in my when, life. Right, think about this. You can say, I yeah. took a man's job. His name was Irvis Hill. Uh, it, like, uh, that's uh, a hell of a story. It, it, refers, <laughs> it refers to Irvis Hill. Doesn't, well, it kind of directly involves Irvis Hill. And uh, when I played high school basketball, we had a play called Texas. It was a, it was a, it was our out-of-bounds play for, like, in-game, in-the-game situation. It was like a hmm. double screen to get a shooter open in the corner. Because my high school basketball coach, he was at Jersey Village once upon a time. They played Texas City, okay. and Texas City schemed up this play to get Irvis Hill open for a three in the corner. And he remembers Irvis Hill catching the ball and freaking out because Irvis Hill's wide open. He's going, no, no. And, but Ir- <laughs> Irvis Hill ends up missing the shot, oh. and Jersey, Jersey Village beat Texas City. But Irvis missed the shot. We called our in-game play Texas because of uh, Texas City and Irvis Hill. Irvis Hill. Man, the tech, it was a Texas City. Was it four players out of there or three? It was. Oh, it was, man. I think it was four. Jermaine Anderson. Ty, uh, yeah. Hill. T- Tyrone Jones. Tyrone Jones. Eric Rawls. Yes. There's four guys Thank that got Texas City that year. That was, wow. that was a beast haul right there. Yeah. That's a hell of a yeah. high school team. That yeah. was Max. Uh, that was Max first. Mm. Was that 98? Yeah, it was the 98 class. Was that 98? Yeah. yeah, you're right. That was right before us. Yep. Yeah. Took over Texas City. And then after that, that was a nice little pipeline, like going on that Galveston way there. Casey Hampton's a Galveston guy. Yeah, because Angle, Angleton's like down that way. Rufus, that, Hill, Rufus Harris from LaPorte. Rufus <laughs> Harris. Man, Rufus Harris. Wow. You the got any good Rufus Harris stories, Rod? Uh, yeah, Rufus Harris story. I don't, I mean, they're, they're funny stories. Most people don't even know who Rufus Harris is. Yeah, so they, I, <laughs> I, just, I just know him because I would the hope there's, funny. I would he hope just, there's a few people listening to this podcast who know who Rufus I, I just had the, He had the worst back pill I've ever seen in my life. Like, it was, it was so, it was just, I don't know how he made it out of high school with that backpedal. Like, it was so crazy how bad the backpedal was. He must have been really good at other things. He really was. He must have been <laughs> unbelievable. And we was like, I don't know. Wait, just don't backpedal. Cause it's it was, like, that's the only thing you see when you go. So I can go watch this kid. Well, I first just thing you see, back remember pedal. Coach Akina yelling at him about oh, no. his backpedal. He had a, yeah. Oh, There's Rufus a different Rufus Harris that has a horrible mugshot. No, shot. not that Rufus Harris. <laughs> we hope that's not the Rufus Harris. That no, this is, is a Rufus. basketball player for, okay, that was for God. the Celtics. Yeah, all right. Now, thank God. <laughs> Hey, Rufus fell on some hard times. That's not Rufus Harris. Not the one we're talking about. Uh, anyway. Yeah, for the camera. <laughs> yeah, Is like there a, a, yeah, that looks like crackhead, Rufus. <laughs> we've got we've got now we've got an Irvis Hill. We've got an Irvis Hill and Rufus Harris on this That's week's a, show. Yeah, boom. Two yeah. random DBU shout outs right there. Yeah. Uh, I'll go ahead and make my token of Dory McCullough reference. So there you we'll go. Just keep, boom, we'll another keep one. Another random theme going. Uh, <laughs> Rod, anything else or Matt, anything else you guys want to chime in with offensively from the spring game? We covered run game offensive line stuff. Last no. week, we haven't talked much about the tight ends. Uh, tight ends didn't really do much. They, and this this was actually a great game, spring game. I'm gonna call it a game. It was a great game for them to shine because once they couldn't throw the ball deep because the wind was so ridiculous, and that's why we didn't get a chance to see. Yeah. I, I think ultimately the the offense will be based on. You know, I know we talked about Larry Fedora and coming in with the RPO concepts and package plays and. Um, his analytical perspective, and we talked about the quarterback running game with Andre Coleman. All those things are going to help evolve the the pro spread philosophy for Tom Herman. But at its at its most rudimentary core, this offense is going to be built on two things. All right, and we know Tom Herman likes them both: the vertical deep passing game and the power running game. Those two things are going to force defenses to make basically to pick their own poison. 
All right, because you the way you defend the deep vertical passing game for Texas and the way you defend their power running game are going to take two different types of personnel. All right, you're going to have to get in your sub packages and your nickel and dime packages to stop Texas from throwing the deep ball, or you're going to have to get into your you know your 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 forty personnel or three linebacker sets to be able to stop Texas power running game. That's why Sam Ellinger, as many Tim Tebow, Bam Bam Sam is really important. Being able to run in between tackles. Why Parker Braun is really really important. Why Herb Hand really important. Right power spread in between the tackles still, and that's why having depth that running back and now having a guy that can take a three yard run and turn it into a fifteen yard run with Jordan Whittington and Keontae Ingram. That's important because if teams are going to defend, especially in the Big Twelve, you're going to defend that power set. Only Oklahoma pretty much has the personnel to do it, but also be able to defend the pass, and we know they can't even do it right now Mm -hmm. because they're struggling. The only teams in the country that really can do that, that have the personnel to really match up to defend. Because Texas, uh, let me get the the passing, the deep passing rating. I talked about the power running game, and we know Tom Herman loves the power running game, right? He wants to bang it in there. Hell, with Sam Ellinger on the goal line, he loves that. You know, we're going to run the same damn play over and over again because we believe we can get a yard. That's his mentality. It fits his personality. But the deep ball, right, it's aggressive. That's what Tom Horn wants to be. He wants to be aggressive, put pressure on defenses. Colin Johnson had the third highest reception rate in college football on deep passes last year, on 20 yards or more down the field. 53.8% of his deep passes he caught. And that's, a, that's ahead of Hakeem Butler, by the way, yeah. who's at 46.9. Um, Devin DuVernay didn't drop a single pass last year, and he might be one of the fastest players in the country. Yeah. You can stretch the defense on both sides. Sam Ellinger, fourth best passer rating in the country on deep ball, 20 yards or more down the field. Fourth best. Second best among Power 5 quarterbacks. He had 13 touchdowns, one interception on deep passes, passer rating of 126. Those are the unique elements the offense is going to be built on, and we didn't get to see that in the spring game. So the tight ends, he, you, you can see Tom Herman adjusted everything. Look how many screens they threw in the spring game. They threw a ton of them. And the tight ends dropped damn near every one of them. <laughs> they dropped so many damn screens. It was crazy. And they were open, too. They were nice little screens that they, you know, that they had developed. And you can tell they were being a little innovative about a little misdirection within the plays yep. to get guys open. Jordan Whittington, some of the running backs, same thing. And they would drop the damn pass. So, to me, that was upsetting with the tight ends. That was their moment to shine. Show their athleticism. Easy passes. Man, tight ends had a really bad day in the scrimmage. They really yeah. had a terrible day. And those things that you brought up right day. there, when you look at the Texas passing game, it aligns exactly with what the strengths were last year because in efficiency, a top 20 passing offense, and then in completion rate, 21. And that just sort of shows the idea that you have this chemistry, no drop passes, and you have such a good, reliable source with your main two options. And then and that's John, everything else. And talking else, about John Bird on the outside, too, who can stretch it. There you go. And mm-hmm. then everything else is going to be Malcolm schemed. Malcolm who's 6'7", who can stretch it. And then you have the scheme throws that are going to be thrown to tight end screens or running back screens. And we looked at the numbers last year and talked about running backs hoping to get up to that 40 reception numbers. And I remember when we added it up by the end of the year between Watson and Ingram and combined, it was 59 targets, 49 receptions and we put those together that's a good production from your running back position you add in the tight end screen game and all of that's going to be based off of Sam's run game so then just works really well to continue to have such a easy rate to move the chains and then all you have to do is either you dictate the tempo you can go and decide yeah you take explosives but if you're keeping the ball away from the opponents it's the only way to keep the scoring down in the big 12 in addition to that and that's why that's why the spring game sucked offensively you couldn't see the deep passing game because of the win couldn't see the power running game because they're not gonna let guys get to the ground they're gonna run sam like that in between the tackles and 
I agree with you, Matt. You're talking about like what they're going, the pace they're going to add. Mm-hmm. So basically, what they do to the deep passing game and also the power running game, add pace to it. Yeah. And it well, seems that's what the simple. screens and those yeah, are, and that, exactly right. Yes. That's your change of pace when you wearing you out actually, a defense, moving yeah, the change when and you do go it up again. tempo. So I yeah, I mean a lot of those things we just they just didn't want to show uh, people a lot of the things they had been working on in the spring, but also. I think, you know, a lot of things that are going to make this offense unique and special and make them a tough offense to defend, they didn't do any of that or couldn't do any of it in the spring game. Like, Mm. uh, let me see if if we're taking the same path here, Rod. Are you saying, like, when we talk about tempo, utilizing the passing game, are you saying one of those 50-50 shots you hit the Colin Johnson? Because I think people confuse, like, that 50-yard play or whatever statistic Texas didn't have one last year. I think they were the only Power 5 program in the country not to have one. I think people confuse that with a lack of explosivity offensively. Like, no, if yeah. you look game by game in terms of chunk yardage plays, Texas was either beating their opponents or right there with the opponents. You don't play for the Big 12 title in this league without having an explosive Little offense. Well, Jordan Humphrey had more explosive pass receptions than any wide receiver in the Big 12. Correct. <laughs> so I think people get the two confused, but this offense was explosive. It's just that you're not getting a lot of yards after catch with those 50-50 balls down the field. It's usually Colin Johnson catching it and then going to the ground. Right? That's just the nature That's of those good plays. Point, yeah. So are you saying – Hey, call a shot, but if he catches that shot down the field, you've got a package play, boom, you're going tempo right after that. Yeah, and it's, it's not always up-tempo. That's a good point. You can you can put pressure on defense when you want to. Maybe sometimes, no, no, maybe it's in our, uh, our maybe it's in our best interest and it's advantageous to us to slow it down a little bit, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and go a minimal pace. But then, like you said, yeah, I cost the defense off guard. Remember what the pay, I keep going back to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. I just keep going mm-hmm. back to their one touchdown drive. And that's what they did, too. They saw, like, they, oh, we figured out something with 21 personnel or 22 personnel going empty formation. Go. Don't let the Rams adjust. Go, 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 yep. go. And then uh, Dwayne Allen, their tight end, said, we never practiced that at all. Literally, Brady saw it, and Belichick, they all saw it, and they said, go, go, yeah. go. We got them. We got them. We got them matching up their linebackers on our wide receivers and our running backs. We got exactly what we want. Wade Phillips is, is brilliant. Do not let him get these guys on the sideline and adjust. Don't let it happen. And that was the only touchdown in the Super Bowl because they figured it out. And I think Texas, with Sam Ellinger mm-hmm. taking command of the offense, and what did Tarlando say? Man, he is manipulating us. He's figuring out what to do, when to do it, when to move guys around. And I think that's Sam in the games. I can see Sam going, we got him. Yep. I saw something. I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. He's a veteran quarterback now. Oh, I saw it. I saw it. You know what? We're going. We're going. Coach Herman's like, oh, you know what? They're going. They're going. They're and going. That's where Sam chemistry. Yeah. And I think Sam's going to get more. They're going to allow him to get more control of the offense and things like that because they're already saying that Sam's in the meetings now and Sam's saying, why don't we try this? You know what? I had an idea. That's basically him becoming a part OC. They want every every great coach yeah. and great offensive mind wants their quarterback <laughs> to, to sit in that meeting and go, Man, I think it would work better if we switched around this and this and did this. I'm telling you, it works every time. And and I think Sam's at that point now. So I think you will start seeing more of that. Yeah. And whenever you're seeing that on the field, it's great to have the chemistry with your receivers the way you say and they you know do. It. And yeah. they can see I mean, you can't have that without that. It's one of the other. And then what you're explaining right there, it's exactly what you see like a modern trend in basketball. You used to always call a timeout to go and set your defense. It's like, no, now you run in transition. You do not call a timeout 
now to give that coach a reason to come and inbound the ball and now defend you. No, while you got it, you go, and that's why the it's best like offense in basketball is yeah. in transition. You go, and it's the same thing that if you got that mismatch, you identify it on the field. Of course, your coaches can confirm it because they're seeing the same thing that you're seeing. Yep. You're all on the same page and go, but that just shows that's football IQ, that's development, that's just everything that you're hoping to strive to be when you're a football team. That's the difference between – you know, Tom Herman's pro spread, and even to a certain extent, Gus Malzahn's spread, as opposed to, like, the, the Bryles veering shoot, mm-hmm. which you know, we saw here with Sterling Gilbert. And granted, Sterling didn't have the experience running it that, you know, our Bryles did. But how many times we see that offense, like, in late-game situations, just kind of look confused, like, okay, yeah, we can't mash the gas right now. Like, yeah. what, what do we do? Um, in a pro spread, you don't have to worry about that. Like you said, Rod, it's, you can mix tempos and feel comfortable going at any tempo. Hey, if we need to mash the gas this drive, we can. If we need to exactly. you know, pull it back and you know play you know four minute offense and milk some clock, yeah, we can do that too it with that power run. Game. Exactly. But that was the beauty of uh, last year, right? We saw about the offense is in in any given uh, game they could be malleable and become what they need to become. Like you said, yeah, they needed the four or five-minute drives. It was all about ball control. Mm-hmm. We saw Tom Hart with the pro spread become a power running game, you know what I mean, and be, and be able to, to have that four or five-minute drive and still put points on the board. Sometimes, frustratingly, not enough points on the board. And we saw at times like, uh-oh, Big 12 shootout. All right, guys, let's spread this thing out and let's chunk it. We got to throw it. We got to get we got to get chunk yardage passing plays. And we saw that. And to your point, Jeff, and you said this last year, Texas and Tom Herman smart enough, and we know he looks forward enough. He's vision. He's a, enough of a visionary to know I got to be to win the Big 12, but I also got to be able to beat Georgia and go beat Bama and Clemson. So it doesn't just end with me winning the Big 12. Right. So that offense has to be one that can win different styles of football. I think both you guys kind of hit the the both points of what the beauty of Tom Herman's offensive philosophy is. Rod, you talked about the physicality of it, and, and that's what your identity is. And, and Matt, you hit it too, where you know, the veer and shoot, it's almost like the tempo is your identity. When you know, mm-hmm. when Sterling got here, we're talking about, hey, we're going to run 200 plays in practice, like yeah. going fast was what that offense was about. Yes, there's obviously advantages the veer and shoot gives you, but the tempo was your identity. The tempo is not your identity in the pro spread with Tom Herman. No. The identity is, at the end of the day, we're going to hang our hat on being a physical football team. Yep. And exactly. And it's not just a power running game that, that uh, ends up making that statement about it's physicality, versatile. right? You can it's versatile. It our receivers are big and physical. We got mm-hmm. six, 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 seven guys out there. Yeah. Remember the them. Oklahoma game? Texas receivers, right? The run, the slant route, just trying to punk the OUDBs. Like 20 yard bubble screens. Yeah, so yeah. every part of this offense is going to have a physical physicality element to mm-hmm. it. And if you can't match it, then we will steamroll you. And so I agree with you on that. 100%. That's Tom Herman's personality. And that's why when we just talk about being the malleable team and having all these players that are say the tweeners that are versatile enough to get the job done just get out there and then figure it out because you're football players and the idea that you want to have this multi-option multi-facets and that's only a luxury you get at the top and it's sort of like when you're watching in the NBA you have these different offenses they're more of a systemic team like you have a regular Mm -hmm. season team like the way the Utah Jazz are but that is all they are so when they get to the playoffs a team the reason the Warriors are the Warriors is 
because they can match up with anybody Anything. and attach. And then when we find this like mismatch today, we're going to mismatch it down low. We got this mismatch on that. So we're going to take care of it here. And it's the same thing that you see. First person to really talk a ton about in the NFL was Belichick with situational football. So all that matters. And all he wants to do is practice different situations because then you're going to be put into all these hundred different variable things. One week could be one. One week could be the other. The next week could be the weather. The one thing is, is you can adjust on the fly. If you're relying upon your system or if you, say, are one that just runs the tempo-based offense, well, whenever you have to change, now you're outside your comfort zone, you aren't left, and that's how you get those niches where you get called a gimmicky offense or you're a niche and like oh, you yeah. have to, systems will elevate lesser teams so you can perform well over the long term, but when it comes to performing elite against elite, that's whenever those things can get exposed unless you're just hyper-efficient, and that's the few luxuries Texas can go beyond that and be able to match up basically however they want. Yeah, you can't be handcuffed. I mean, the Rockets no, used to be like be that, right? to one. handcuffed to the three-pointer, mm-hmm. and then they figured out, damn, when the three-pointer's not going, we're screwed. We got mm-hmm. no way to score. So they figured out, all right, you know what? Combo guards, ISO option offense. So mm-hmm. they figured out three-pointer is now just a part. It's a facet right. of what they do. Well, the ISO is the dual-threat quarterback yeah, right exactly. now. Exactly. So it's, like, it's not the only thing they do. And the, the same thing with Tom Herman. You. Like it's, you can shut down one facet of that offense, as Matt's talking about, but you can't shut everything down. It's going to be no. something we can do to move the rock. And then the Patriots, going back to the Patriots and the Rams and the Super Bowl, it took the Patriots a while to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And even the Patriots struggle sometimes, like, damn, what is it? And then if you if you stick to your, your guns, the, met, the matchup is what they ended up falling back on in the end because they weren't, even though all in the playoffs they were a, a team that ran 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end, and they were running the football more than any Patriot team since the, uh, the 2001 Patriot team that first won the Super Bowl. And then, ding, 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 they decide, now nah, we're going to spread this thing out. Let's spread yep. it out. And that's how they won, not being – um, not being compartmentalized and not being handcuffed to just one thing. It's almost okay. And I, I want to move on to talk draft, but when you look at Tom Herman's mentor offensively is Greg Davis, right? Mm-hmm. And Rod, during your time at Texas, mm-hmm. Greg Davis was accused. And, and like Matt's talking about in situations where when the talent evens out and you got to have something else, what do you go to? Greg Davis a lot of times didn't have anything to go to. No, I agree with that. And we saw just play calling wasn't up to par, schemes weren't up to par. It's basically like if you're if you got a Derek Strait that can check Roy Williams. Well, okay, you're kind of screwed at What's that point, next? and it's just almost like go with God. Mm-hmm. But when did we see Greg Davis become a better play caller, better offensive coordinator, when he was able to adapt to the personnel he had, when he became more malleable? And now, yeah. now we're going to be with Vince Young. We're, we're going to zone read, and we're going we're to be a team that's, that's got this dynamic mm-hmm. run game. And when you've got Colt McCoy, now we're going to be more of a West Coast tempo, mm-hmm. you know, spread type offense. Uh, it, it's kind of the same thing, just you're seeing Tom Herman take that, that Greg Davis 11 personnel and just – I don't even say you can say expounding on it. He's really kind of taken that Greg Davis base 11 personnel offense and really put his own spin on it and taken pieces from Urban Meyer and guys over the years and now, boom, it's yeah, off he, and running. He's very much like Sean McVay. Sean McVay and the Rams run 11 personnel, I don't know, 85% of the time, more than any team in the NFL by far. Uh, but you have teams like the New Orleans Saints, right, with Sean Payton. And he runs more uh, formations and personnel packages than anybody else. He doesn't just stick mm-hmm. to, you know, one eleven personnel. But there have been you, it can work both ways, right, because Sean McVay makes everything look the same out mm-hmm. of 11 personnel. But he's running five plays with – with five different counters off of every He's play, but they within. all look the same. Yeah, you know what I mean. All have this, the jet sweep motion, all with you know uh, tight bunch formations, whatever it is. And I think Tom Herman is more like that. He more wants to make everything look the same. But this year, 
I really want to see him use more personnel packages. We talked about the 21 personnel they used in the spring game, showed you a little bit of that out of empty formation. I want to see him mix up the personnel. I want to see 12 formation. I want to see two tight ends out there and running the power. I think Texas, I don't know, I think Tom Herman, with all of this different talent that he has, I think he's doing himself a disservice by only sticking with 11 personnel. I know that sounds crazy, but you can be so much more versatile and you can put so much more pressure on defenses just from the alignment assignment look going Oh, holy hell. We got to prepare for how many packages? Yeah. We got to prepare yeah. for eight eight different packages they're going to put out there? Oh, damn. You know what I mean? Like, I think as a defender, man, nothing freaks me out more than how many packages they're putting out there? Oh, damn. So I'm going to be in a different set depending on my coverage. I may be in a different down and distance depending on the coverage. I could be in a different place. And I have to think about so much before the snap. I think it, it's a way for Texas to gain an advantage, even before they play the team. Right. Yeah, and being at Texas, this may be the first time where he's afforded the luxury That's to recruit point the type of players to That's be able true. to do what you're saying. That's too. true. Good point. Yeah. All right, let's talk draft uh, before we get out of here in the time we've got left. Rod, like last year's draft, this is one where the mock drafts have things all over the map for they do, the man. Texas guys. I wouldn't be shocked to see a couple guys go in the second round. I wouldn't be shocked if we got to day three and everybody's still on the board. Um, Amino, who is the he's the only guy I've seen in mocks that has been a cons- in second round mocks as high as the second round. Most of the mocks I've seen for Charles Amino, who have him in the third and the fourth round, I think he's gonna get drafted in the third round. I think it's gonna be somewhere in between. He's such a freak physically with the long arms and everything. I think somebody's gonna fall in love with him. And, you know, he's got really, really good film against, you know, some elite offensive linemen. I mean, just look at the, the old lineman that he had to face against Oklahoma. Just look, break down mm-hmm. that film and kind of the K-State film. And he was going up against NFL caliber guys. I think NFL guys will, NFL scouts will fall in love with him. So I, I got third round. I think he'll be the first Longhorn off the board. Why does Charles Amenahu, when I look at him and project him to the NFL, why does he just seem like a fit with the Raiders to me? <laughs> Oh, I, I, I don't know why, thought, like, but you know what? I can see that because I said uh, I said he reminds me of Simeon Rice. Yeah, okay. and he you know was a Raider I mean? for a while. And it did John was that John Gruden was there with Simeon Rice? Today, yeah. I believe right. Oh, yes, yeah. I think. I don't know. I see. I see that though. I see the the Raiders. That's, that's I don't know. Like, I mean, he I just traded away that, Khalil Mack, so it makes sense that you I need to bring him in. I just think that silver and black looks good on Charles Amenahu. Well, hell, everybody looks good in that silver and black. Yeah, that's, that's true. It does look good. It's gonna be in Vegas. Ooh, I think Charles. In that in that one in that one team you wish you played for, Rod, so you get that that Baber silver and black. Yeah, there's some some teams you wish you played for just for the cool jerseys. I agree. The, the Raiders are definitely one of them. Oh, but you know yeah. when you talk about Charles Amenahu, Rod, it, it's not gonna shock me if Chris Boyd's the first long one off the board. I, if somebody <laughs> just falls in love with him that much, I would not be shocked, but. <laughs> It would be, it'd so be laughable Boyd. to me because everybody be like, be, to prove that the NFL draft, they, there's such a crapshoot. It's such yeah. an inexact science because it reminded me of the Mikael Thompson Quandre Diggs draft. Yeah. Remember when Mikael Thompson was drafted? What was Mikael Thompson Fifth drafted? Round. Fifth round. Fifth round? Yeah. And, and Quandre's what, sixth round? Six. Yep. And I, and I remember then I was thinking, how did he get drafted ahead of Quandre? And, and it was just the frame. He and was it wasn't long, close. Was it was rangy. like 40, 50 something picks apart. Were they really? Yeah. That's cr- I can't believe yeah. that. Yeah, but I know it was all because Quandre was small and compact, and he just looked like he wasn't going to fit into the NFL. It turns out he's perfect fit for the NFL. Uh, to me, you know, Quandre Diggs, it, you know, kind of reminds me of what, what Gary Johnson's going to go through. I think Gary Johnson may drop in the draft because he's undersized, because linebacker's not a premium position. Mm-hmm. He's not a pass rusher, and it's a really deep D-line draft, all that kind of stuff. And that's why Charles Minhu is going to drop too, by the way. It, if, if Charles Minhu was in a different draft, he'd be yeah. a second-round pick. Hands down, no question. Yep. 
this is the deepest D-line draft in NFL history, arguably. Yep. So he's going to drop to the third round. That's it's not really his fault. 56 but, picks between Mikel Thompson and Quandre Dix in the 15 draft. And I'm not hating on Mikel Thompson at all. And not all. No. I, Mikel Thompson, hell, even uh, Coach Aquino would always say he thought Mikel Thompson had, you know, Thorpe Award type ceiling. What that, that, that argument sound like Mikel when you were What that argument sound like my, when y'all were chopping my, it up on the practice my, field? My run. jaw was on the ground. Like, are you serious? Not the guy that I'm watching. He's like, oh, yeah, he's got. No, got, what did Coach Aquino, how did Coach Aquino say? He's like, oh, I'm telling you, Davis, he's got, he's got Jim Thorpe Award with Del over him, man. He's got to get his mind right, and then he can get his money right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, thank you for that. Okay. Um, but I was like, man, I, I don't know what, but you know what? He's looking at it probably as a NFL scout would look at the, yeah. and Mikael Thompson's body was impressive. I mean, he was long and rangy, kind of looked like Shaggy Brown athlete. out there. 25 yeah. foot long jumper in high school. Freak at athlete, six, two, track and guy. And then you got Aquino yeah. quote saying that you're you got to go, take a 50 Akita's the reason he got drafted. That's what I said. Akita probably told some scout that, oh man, he's got Thorpe and what written now, I love right now. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so. They I, say the same thing about Quandre. Uh, no, he's exactly. too small. But, but I think you know Quandre what, Rob? Dropping, I think Quandre will be Gary Johnson. I think he's going to drop it in draft, but he's going to end up making a roster. And some NFL defense is going to fall in love with Gary Johnson mm-hmm. because he never has to leave the field. Yeah. First down, second down, third down. You guys are just talking Bellas. about how they've passed more on first down than any time in NFL history. That's because the most successful passing down is first down. They make more yards passing on first down than any other down, second or third. And Gary Johnson can cover those running backs on first down, cover those tight ends. He can run a four. He's probably half. He's probably faster than half of your guys in your secondary. Yep. Yeah. And that and guy's going to be – he's going to stick on the NFL roster. I, I wish the Texans get him late. I think he's going to be great. I hope he does. And I could yeah. also see Belichick breaking his mold of he always has a big hulking linebacker. And he's like, no, I know where the game's going. I'm going to go that route. Speed demon, yeah. man. <laughs> that guy can cover your Alvin Kamara's out of the backfield. Oh, my God. Yeah. Rod, you Literally. think – Literally. I know. He, raised four, he ran a 4-4-3. Four, four, he cover Antonio Brown on the slot. He was the, the fastest guy arguably on the defense. Yes, it's insane. <laughs> Do you think between you and Mikel Thompson, the next time the Giants draft the Texas DB, oh, their God. fans will be pissed? No, they now. love Aaron Ross. Aaron Ross, though. Oh, that's a. Ross true. Saved a. Ross. Us. Thank God. Yeah. A. Ross saved Sa- us. Sandwich him right there in the middle. He got, <laughs> got a couple of rings. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, the A. Ross Thank saved you, us. Thank uh, you, but Eli. no, I, I, I think Quandre is, like I say, he's going to be like Gary Jones. He's going to drop. Uh, I do. You're right, Chris Boyd, man. Some teams thinking about moving him to safety. He's not going to get drafted that high to play corner. No, no way. I, just, I think the safety. I think the safety draft this year is so bad that I think somebody. Look, man, we see teams draft for need out of desperation all the time. Can I? Can I say this though? Wouldn't Devontae Davis be just as good a safety prospect as Chris Boyd? Mm-hmm. I Chris think Boyd's a better corner than Devontae Davis. Of course, we all agree with that. But if I'm thinking about safety. But well, I think Devontae Davis may actually. But I think Chris Boyd. I think I think I think you look at Chris Boyd and see the ability to play him probably more sub packages than Devontae Davis because he can cover better. So yeah. you're gonna still rely on his cover skills. You still gonna put him out there against a slot. At, at nickel, at nick, at nickel or dime as opposed trust to corner. Either yeah, one of them well, versus a slot wide receiving the league. But we Hell, just I wouldn't trust either one of them versus a slot wide receiving the Big Twelve. Very true. Are you serious? You gonna put him in the league versus the slot with guys like Julian Edelman? Yeah. Oh, good luck with that. And the main thing with Mikel Thompson's <laughs> frame, was, was so no. ridiculous. How they make? I don't even know how they make a living making somebody say, "You serious? You're gonna move him to?" We see it slot? every year. Yeah, right? Quandre Diggs can cover. Quandre can cover. Yeah, Quandre can cover. It's one thing you can't teach. It's like trying to teach a quarterback accuracy. I can't teach him a mofo how to how to how to throw accurately. I can teach him the footwork. I can teach him the technique, how to p- keep his arms high, all that crap. But I can't teach you accuracy, man. Those things will make you more accurate. But accuracy is something that is natural. And covering, I'm mm-hmm. telling you, it's natural, man. You can cover or you can't. It's like a cat I can make landing. it better with a little technique here, a little footwork here, alignment, assignment. But if you can't cover, you can't cover a manhole. You just can't I'm cover. Tell- I'm telling you right now, Rod. <laughs> they're, they're, the, the team that drives 
drafts Chris Boyd, they will disregard the fact the that Texas. The, no, <laughs> they will disregard the Texas Tech tape and the Oklahoma State. They will watch that TCU game. They will watch that West Virginia game. They'll watch the Oklahoma State game last year and the Texas Tech game in seventeen and say. We can work with this guy, but that's we why, can that's get why, that out of this guy every game. I agree, but that's how that's why scouting is so flawed, right? Yeah. So you look at the film that you want to watch. It's like it's like confirmation uh, it's like politics. It's like politics in this country, right? Confirmation so everybody's bias. just watching the only news coverage they want to watch, so everybody just uh, reaffirms their own opinion, as you said. Yeah, it's confirmation bias. So yeah, why don't you watch the other film too, and then get a more willing evaluation? No, no, of no. The young man. Just show me that TCU <laughs> film again. Show me, <laughs> you know, show me him running with Jalen Rager down the field. And, and I'm not saying Chris Boyd can't cover; like he's just terrible. No, of course right, we're not. What I'll say is this: He he panics when his back is to the football, and that is a bad habit to have You're in the NFL because your back's gonna be to the football. Back shouldering you all the time. Yes, that's literally <laughs> all they do. They just they throw the ball way before anybody's. You know why receivers back Drop into the in the nineties? He would have been all right. Yeah, he's got he's got to really figure that out, man. He's got that I call it panic protocol. When when the ball's in the air and you know it, he has no panic protocol. He, he doesn't know if he's shooting for the hands. And we've seen him at times, oh, he knows he's shooting for the hands. He doesn't know whether he's going to play the eyes of the wide receiver. He doesn't figure out whether he's going to be a nation basher and go, hell, I'm a wide receiver. I'm looking for the ball. And yeah. I, after that, I'll figure it out. Some guys do it. He doesn't know what to do when the ball's in the air and his back is to the ball. That's trouble. And that's the sight into his mind where you have like sort of the certain players, you don't know what goes wrong, but when you have that quick, second where you say buffering or something some people are point. natural and some people yeah. just don't have that deer in the headlights some people are comfortable in the chaos processing information and in yeah. th- that those are those few indicators that's like oh nope something's happening there what's going on what is causing this issue that would be hopefully what those scouts and are that's what to the scout out. saying hey i can i can out, i can post Be- that out before we dive a little deeper into the draft uh, i'll say this if you give me a hundred bucks and say jeff go to vegas and bet on the first longhorn draft of what round they're going in I'm putting that money down on Charles Amenahu going in the third round. I agree. But if Chris Boyd gets drafted in the third round before Charles Amenahu, I'm not going to be surprised because we just laid it out for you right yeah. here. So there no, will, no, no. There will, there, if, if that happens, because there will be a team that just looked at those few select games and said, we can get that out of him every single week. Yeah. No, I agree with that. That well, we've seen that year after year in the draft. There's always one of those 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 situations, and I will say on 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 specs, man, he's legit. I mean, yes. he had a good combine, and he showed why he has a NFL ceiling, a Sunday skill set. Uh, I think he just needs a, he just needs like a year or two in the league, just practicing and getting reps. I would hate to throw him out there too early. And then have him like exposed, and then his confidence is battered. But I will say this: he he has unshakable confidence, though he does not get down uh, about getting beat because we saw that he would get beat, and, and you saw him go kind of downward spiral. But he would bounce back the next week and be fine, and he'd have a good game. That was the frustrating thing about he was like Texas basketball. That's <laughs> you know what I mean. He's, he's good. Yeah. He's like, what the hell? You got to have that just totally. <laughs> so just, that's a good thing. Yeah, totally fake enthusiasm or a confidence that you just yeah. have out there. You're gonna do it. In a way, Rod, when you look at it, Chris Boyd, Charles Amuna, who they could both get, even Devontae Davis, they could end up getting the red shirt year in the NFL that they didn't get at Texas because they Charles were, because they were great after a red shirt NFL. Because they were forced to play early. Yeah, him in the NFL with one year to add some weight on him, add some strength to him. Yeah. yeah. I think he may benefit more than anybody. Gary, I think some, you know, I mean, guys, I think Gary Johnson, I don't think a year would help him much because he's got one elite, like, uh, like skill that really is going to make him a good NFL player. That's the fact that at linebacker he can thump and he runs a four four. 
So I don't know if you can really improve on it. Hell, you could argue as he gets older and depreciates in speed that he's going to lose what makes him so special. Right. So, yeah. I agree with that. But I'm with you on Gary Johnson kind of being the Quandre Diggs uh, of this draft. I think Gary Johnson makes an NFL impact earlier than anybody in this draft class. I'm with you, man. And I, I think we'll look up five years from now and say, you know what, Gary Johnson carved himself out a nice little NFL career for being a sixth round Six, pick seven, or whatever. whatever it is. Totally agree with you. So, how many guys we think are getting drafted this week? I weekend? say four get drafted. Amenahu, Boyd, Gary Johnson. Well, I'm going to take that back So I'm about Lil Jordan Humphrey on this thing. Yeah. Uh, I think Lil Jordan Humphrey might get drafted in like the seventh or something. But I could be wrong. He, I, might, he might fall out of the draft. I think, I think it's four. I think it's four, too. I think it's four. I think somebody's going to take a flyer on Andrew Beck in the seventh round. Oh, so you're saying Lujan Humphrey does not get drafted? No. Oh, interesting. I think it's going to be four, and I think Andrew wow. Beck is the fourth. Interesting. He pulls that uh, Jeff Swain move, huh? Yeah, because I think somebody's going to look at him and say he fits a specific role on our team. Oh, yeah. We don't want to risk losing him as a priority free agent. Let's go ahead and draft him. Well, yeah, I mean, you've seen more and more NFL packages where, you know, they have two tight ends and uh, one H-back. He can play H-back, play fullback, play tight end for you. And the fact that he ran a decent 40 time, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I, you know, I heard anything from four fives to four six. That's pretty damn good. Kind of low to mid four five is yeah, what I heard. That's, that's way faster than I thought yeah. he would be. Hell, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm with you. I think somebody, I like Andrew Beck. I think somebody in the NFL might fall. They fell for Jeff Swain, they'll fall for him. Because he was he, more productive than Jeff Swain. Because I think at that, at that point late in the draft, Rod, you correct me if I'm wrong, I think you're looking for two things. You're either looking for very specific like needs or guys that you think could fit mm-hmm. that need. And I'm not talking about needs like, oh, we need to find a number one receiver. I'm like, hey, we need a, we could really use a, a fourth tight end slash fullback that we don't have right now. Well, let's get this guy drafted him. We'll get him on the cheap. We can, you know, oh, yeah. let this guy walk, whatever. Or you're just looking for, you know, a guy like Devontae Davis saying, you know what, we'll give him like a red shirt here, but on projectables, we, we really like him. No, I totally fits. agree. That's why guys start getting drafted for special teams late yeah. in the round. I mean, literally, they start drafting long snappers and punters and stuff like this. Like, oh, no, we really need we really need a long snapper. We really need this. Yeah, I'm not going to be shocked if Andrew Beck doesn't get drafted. I just think if it's going to be four, I think he's, to me, is most likely to be the fourth one. I think if LJ Humphrey gets drafted, it's just going to be somebody that, like we talked about after his combine and after I think Pro Day. I think in the seventh round, somebody could go, look, LJ's still there? Yeah. Oh, hell, man, I used to love that dude. You know what? Let's take him. Let's yeah. take him. And I, that could be the Texans. Honestly, some tells me it's going to be the Texans or the Cowboys, potentially. Like, I, I don't know why, but like <laughs> I said, with the men who is the, with the Raiders, I don't know why that to me yeah, seems like sometimes it, just, it just sticks but with you. But to me, like, Lil Jordan yeah. Humphrey with the Cowboys, that's kind of how I've seen this whole thing playing out. I'm with you because I just don't. Yeah. Right now, I think at the Combine, all the other teams. Because you know, teams in Texas, they get to see more of guys who are in this region. So they yeah. saw more of Lil Jordan Humphrey, whether it be the Texans or the Cowboys. And the other, you know, the, with the combine being so bad for him, I think other teams may have begun, ugh, this is the guy y'all been bragging about? This guy, this guy stinks. And this guy doesn't take the process seriously or, you know, he's, he's not fast enough, whatever it may be. And I don't know if he changed a lot of opinions, honestly, at pro day. I think he had a better pro day than combine, but I don't know if he was that much better. Um, so, yeah, I could see the, the Cowboys going, oh, man, I loved him. And some scouts saying, dude, I went to like three of his games, and every game he bowled out. But you know what, what helps mean? LJ Humphrey with the Cowboys too, Rod, is the fact that he's not just a Texas guy. He's a South Lake Carroll guy. It's true so, that. So there's got to be somebody in that organization that, has that, knows, that knows Hal Watson that can call him up and say, hey, yeah. tell me everything you know good about point. Lord Jordan Humphrey, good, bad, or indifferent. Isn't yeah. that where McElroy went to school? Like his mom's all in charge of the Cowboys. Yeah. 
Greg yeah, McElroy and I said, there's, a, there's definitely yeah. two degrees. Yeah. Trust me, right. trust me. There are people in that Dallas Cowboys well, office I mean, that know McElroy's people in South Lake Carroll. Like I agree with that. Yeah. Lady. I agree with that. That's that can tell you kind of what. I think his dad was a scout too, or something. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you on that. I, and Lil John Humphrey, honestly, the way he's handled the process, something tells me he knows somebody really likes him. Like, you threw that I, theory out there. So it's the only way I can think of why he didn't take the process seriously enough, and why he didn't even want to run routes at pro day. It was like somebody literally told him, "Man, I will draft you if you are there in this round." Not that you should, you know, believe that, but I hope that's the case. Wouldn't be the first time guys follow bad advice. And that guy didn't get drafted after that year he had. That would be so sad. So we we feel safe saying three Texas guys get drafted. Three for weekend. sure. I got Lil Jordan Humphrey as my Cinderella pick to get drafted. I, I just like Andrew Beck. I think someone's no, going to see him as you know I like the that. the forty was it forty eight. You keep active on Sunday. Yeah, he's your fifty three. Yeah, he's your forty eighth. He's your last guy that I you activate. That. On a Sunday. Uh, let's just talk about real quick. Rod, you talked about Devontae Davis, but of those other guys, the, other guys. Uh, the Calvin Andersons, the P.J. Locks, which mm-hmm. of those guys that are probably going to be in that priority free agent pool, which of those guys do you think make a ride? Whether it's a practice squad guy or whatever, most likely it is going to be as a practice squad yeah. guy. Which of the guys do you think make a guy or guys think you, you're going to – I don't know why I can't talk this week. Which of those guys do you think you're going to look up and see at the end of the year, okay, they've made it on a roster all year? Um, I'm got P.J. Locke, and I like Calvin Anderson. Gil okay. Brandt put out a very uh, glowing tweet about Calvin Anderson saying he would be a high-priority free agent for someone because he had good workouts. Uh, and I like P.J. Locke because of the lineage of DBU at that nickel position and his versatility, you know, we've seen that work out before, whether it's an Adrian Phillips uh, or whatever it is. Like, we've seen that story. And we actually know that Texas has had a lot of underachieving, underdeveloped offensive linemen in the last eight, nine years go play in the NFL as undrafted free agents. So I'm going Calvin Anderson. I'm going P.J. Locke. Uh, P.J. Locke, we, every year, Rob, there's a guy that really helps himself at pro day. Locke there has been a lot. Like, we saw Marcus Johnson, like, yep. got on an NFL oh, yeah. roster yeah. from his pro day. I think P.J. Locke is that guy this year. I yeah. don't know if he'll get drafted. I doubt he gets drafted. He's Hopefully he does. He's agent, though. But, yeah, he's, he, somebody will get him in a camp and say, wow, you know, he, he can play nickel, he can play dime, he can play safety. Yeah, he, he's a core special teams guy. Yeah, we can keep Not him around. Not great at anything. But pretty, pretty good, good at a lot, at of, lot things. of things. Yeah, you know I mean? and that's kind of what Adrian Phillips was. Adrian Phillips was like great at anything. Exactly. You know, it. He was like, but he was pretty good at a lot of things. That is PJ Locke. And how did Adrian Phillips make his first Pro Bowl? Special, Special teams. teams guy. That's right. You know, yeah. and I'm with you on Calvin Anderson. He Calvin Anderson had like a ridiculous. I think it was a three cone drill. Yeah, time. showed some great footwork. Shuttle time was really and showed good strength. Uh, bench, right? I think he benched yeah, 30. Is it 30? 29 or 29, 30, yeah. 29, 31 of those, I yeah. remember. He, he, had, he showed some straight. No, and he's got good size, and he hasn't He hasn't had a lot of film at this level. So it, I need to go watch. I, I, I mean, I guess maybe if I can go yeah, find it. His Rice film and see how much he improved from that year with uh, her, her pan. Yeah. I think Scott's going to look at that too and go, ooh, if he improved a lot, it's like, yeah, okay. But I think too, when you see you know, some of the character things, the fact that he graduated with a degree, I think, what, like a mathematics degree from oh, no, freaking yeah, he's Rice. One of those. Yeah. Yeah. He's, like, honestly, football may not be his most successful <laughs> he's career. Rank okay. It won't be his most successful career. Like, his father, father's those. a full board colonel in the Army. So, yeah, I mean, he's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's a guy that I think if somebody's looking to priority free agent for a franchise, he's going to check a I agree. crap ton of boxes. I like both of those guys. Um, I think that's Beck, Beck fits that too, you know, the character Beck does, stuff. But I'm with you. I think I think Beck, if he's not drafted in his seventh round, I think he's a priority free agent for somebody yeah. too. 
So that's what we're saying with this draft. We've got really the, the five combine guys in some way, shape, or form, whether they're drafted or priority free agents. And then we'll throw P.J. Locke and Calvin Anderson and Andrew Beck into the priority free. What about Chris Nelson? I know Chris Nelson's a guy, Rod, that a lot of guys ask about. You heard anything yeah, about I, Chris I mean, Nelson from I talking to people? I think Nelson's a good player. I think he'll end up in a training camp. I don't know if Chris Nelson – Man, I, don't, I, I mean, I, I just don't think he had enough explosive plays here at Texas to show me that he's that kind of game changer and disruptor. Of, you know of the mean? guys in this draft he's, class. He's going to take the Puna Ford route, and Puna Ford was one of the most disruptive defensive line we've ever seen at Texas. And I don't know if Chris Nelson's going to be able to make a team. Well, let me ask you like this. You know of the mean? guys in this draft here. class, is Chris Nelson the guy most likely to maybe have to go like the XFL route? No, Devontae and, Davis and probably too. Do you think Devontae Davis Devontae Davis is one of those too. He reminds me of a Cam Chancellor. He might have to go up there, you know what I mean, carve out a different way. Yeah. So do you think both those guys are probably XFL-type guys? Uh, oh, yeah. There you go. I didn't even think about the XFL. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Not yeah, the yeah. CFL, the XFL. Yeah, sorry. I'm thinking or about my old yeah. FL is back below when, back, NFL. Back in my day, it was a CFL. You're right. Now, XFL. I totally agree. Both those Assuming the XFL is going to have a season in the oh, no, spring as they're, as they're oh, planning no. on. Yeah. It's definitely will. Yeah. So that so those are the guys. So we're saying the the Patrick Vahes and the you know the, the Trey Watsons, guys like that, it's gonna be a pretty, you know, uphill climb. Yeah, for those guys. it's gonna be tough for those are your Trey XFL Watson. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be tough for those guys. Because running back, listen, they may not be a running back taking in the first round, just one this year. No, I just took away the betting, now. Get the that betting odds right. are against it. Yeah. Oh, the over really? under yeah. was one. That's what I thought. <laughs> All right. We'll see how the draft plays out and we will break it down uh, next week on the show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. Oh, you are more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for Travis, the best damn videographer in the podcast game for it's everybody true. at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn. 1049 1019 AM twelve sixty. Streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com where you can get Rod B on the Rodcast each and every weekday from one to three. Shameless plug. You can get this podcast on Megaphone anywhere you get your podcasts. Go to Apple Podcasts, rate us, leave us a review. Thanks to CB and everybody else out there who has done that. And thanks to Matt, you can get our classic interviews, classic shows, all of our archives on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again. You've been listening. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.